I'm Matt Miller, joined as always by Connor Rogers, and we have a kick-ass show for you guys this week. We're going to talk to Eugene Monroe, former left tackle in the NFL, a guy who walked away from the game really in his prime uh, and is now spending a lot of his own money uh, toward marijuana research as a kind of a, an alternative to the painkillers that have been just predominant in the NFL really ever since it's been invented. So we're going to talk to Eugene Monroe about life off the field. We're going to preview the edge and linebacker positions for next year's draft. And it already looks like a great group of prospects at both positions. So all those pass rushers and all the middle linebackers, we're going to preview those for you this week. And as always, we're going to answer your questions that you guys have been leaving on iTunes. We're over 100 reviews now. So thank you for that. Keep it up. We're going to answer the questions you left on Twitter as well. Connor, the most exciting thing that happened to me in the last week was taking the girlfriend to Kansas City for a day and going to Q39, which is now my favorite restaurant in Kansas City, and getting to Boulevard and just like not looking at my phone for a day. It was amazing. Dude, that's a great feeling. And was that a Jason Kander reference or where did you hear about Q39 from? So I had heard about Q39 on Twitter, honestly, because, nice. uh, you know, I. Growing up a little south of Kansas City, I was always a Jack Stack guy. You know, I was like, oh, Jack Stack's the best. And it it, it the very good. Their cheesy corn is amazing. But you see people on Twitter tell you, like, no, 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 you got to check out Joe's. And so then you like, oh, okay, well, Joe's is awesome. Uh, best barbecue sandwich I've probably ever had. But then Q39 opened pretty recently. I don't even know exactly when they opened. But I would get people saying, Man, you got to check out Q39. And I actually tried once and couldn't even get in the parking lot. It was so busy. Oh, my God, dude. So we just got lucky a couple months ago and went on a Sunday afternoon and got a table or a seat right at the bar, which is like open air. So it was great. And so we decided this weekend, let's run up to the city. I uh, made a reservation this time. But I got – it's called a judge's plate. And I'm like – I like food, but I can't eat a lot of food in one setting. But I got this plate, and it was two spare ribs, two slices of brisket, and like a, a link of jalapeno sausage. And it was it is the best barbecue I've ever had. Like, so Is this Aaron Judge's plate, or was that well <laughs> after the fact? Because that's well a 280-pound man. <laughs> yeah, that that it was it was as good as Aaron Judge is swinging the bat. I'll say that. It was Ooh. it was ridiculous. So, hey, they they did not pick up my meal. I paid for my food. So this is like just honest-to-goodness amazing food so if you're in kansas city or drivable distance you have to check it out or if you're coming to town for a chiefs game tweet me let me know i'll come with you and we'll eat together because it's it's that good we got to get you there next time you come in that's a pretty sweet offer and next time i'm in kansas city that is definitely going to have to make the stops because obviously the barbecue out there is awesome and that's one of the things actually in new york that like don't get me wrong there's blue smoke and there's a couple of places but it's just one of those things you really can't find a substitute for compared to Kansas City and just the Midwest out there with barbecue it's awesome but we do have a lot of NFL things I know it's listen it's the middle of July and you'd think it would be kind of slow before we get into training camp mode but there is some things going on in the NFL right now Matt there are man and two stories that um, we've been all over which is let's start with we'll go from Kansas City to Kansas City Brett Veach named the new GM of the Kansas City Chiefs this is something that we've talked about on the show. Um, it's something that I've talked about on Twitter for a couple years. I have always felt like Veach was going to be a GM very soon. He interviewed for that Buffalo job earlier this year when it, op- when it became available. Uh, LaShawn McCoy talked about his merits as a, a scout because they were together in Philadelphia. But when the announcement was made official yesterday, I'm very excited. I like to see young guys get in these, these positions and also see – just like a changing in the guard. You know, if you, John Dorsey's out. So you bring in a young guy. Um, I, I think he's around my age, 32, 33, 34 years old, young guy who is now in a position with a great roster. Now, I'm going to be writing this week about what this means for Alex Smith, what it means for Patrick Mahomes, what it means for really everyone up there in Kansas City. But I'm, I'm very happy about this hire as someone who like, I'm not a Chiefs fan, but I root for the Chiefs because they're, they are my local team. Yeah, it's really interesting. They go with the in-house hire, which, you know, you totally understand. Uh, he is very young. I'm sitting here like wonder. I'm trying to get an exact age. It's funny. I'm reading an article and of course you're quoted in it because you've been all <laughs> over this for months right now talking about Beach. 
But it's interesting now, Matt, like right now he got the job. And, you know, I'd been talking to you about his name over, you know, the entire draft season. And you were like, hey, he's probably next in line in the next, you know, maybe next offseason he starts to get those interviews and lands a job. But it happens now for a couple of different reasons. One, I don't think anyone expected this job to be open. I mean, that would probably right. be the, the biggest thing. And obviously the other being that Chris Ballard left and Chris Ballard would have been the logical candidate, but he's gone. So that's kind of a swing and a miss there, but hopefully they get a guy in Beach that can, you know, be a really good backup option. And and here's what I know about him. Uh, obviously, he played football in New Hampshire. He was a wide receiver. Uh, he then was under Andy Reid in the personnel department with the Eagles, um, was a college scout there. You go to Kansas City and he worked his way up the ladder. So he's someone who's very well respected as just a scout. You know, it's a lot like Chris Ballard without the 15 years of, you know, everyone saying this guy's one of the best scouts in football. I think Veach was someone who I would imagine that Andy Reid and Clark Hunt looked at this and said, hey, we can either lose this guy or keep this guy because he's he's going to be a GM soon. So they opted to keep him and, and we'll see. But he's got a good roster that can win 10, 11, 12 games this year, which is definitely going to help out. The other big news on the flip side a team that does not have a roster to win 10, 11, 12 games. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Your fighting New York Jets made a promotion that here's what's hilarious about this. So they promote Brian Heimerdinger from director of player personnel to vice president of player personnel. No announcement was made. I just happened to see it on their website. and was like, that's different. So it's like you look at the New York Jets staff page and it's, oh, okay, well, they promoted Heimerdinger who... I know his name from uh, way back in the day. I applied for a job with the Houston Texans. And, you know, so when you apply for a job in the NFL, you memorize everyone who works there just in case you ever run across them. So I remember his name from way back when in Houston. But everything I've ever heard about uh, Heimerdinger is that he's just a like a scout scout, like, you know, ear to the grindstone, a guy who is out there and the jets are famous for getting to all the pro days, all the all-star games. Like they, they rack up those frequent flyer miles. They go everywhere. So I think that's, you know, people can shit on the jets all they want, but I believe that there's a strategy in place right now to build a young um, roster that with a, with a new culture with guys like Jamal Adams and Marcus may and Jordan Jenkins. And, And I, this is just my interpretation of it. I think you can see his fingerprints on that. Yeah, it is really interesting. You know, I had tweeted out earlier that all I known just from talking to, you know, the scouting community, just guys that have probably worked in passing or heard things about him, is that, listen, he has a good eye for talent. He's obviously super young, well-respected, just a high football IQ, kind of one of those McCagnin, and obviously McCagnin brought him along. McCagnin took him from the Rams when McCagnin got the Jets Yeah, and job. I think they were together in Houston, so they, there's yes, some familiarity there. They yeah. did cross paths there, you know, just by, you could do a simple Google search to figure that, you know, to tell that one up. But it, it's McCagnin's guys are, like you said, they go to every single event. They're, they are really good at filling out the back of a roster. And it's really interesting because Veach was kind of the same way. I see that Veach got a lot of credit for, you know, rounding out that Chiefs roster. They're guys that can find talent on day three of the draft. They do really well with the UDFA process. And the one thing that I take away from this is that, listen, a GM job could be super overwhelming. That's no secret. McCagnin needs to become a better decision maker. The Decisions the Jets have made, whether it's not executing trades, whether it's making extensions or not signing the right people, that's been a problem. And maybe he needs to get better at that. And maybe he needs to hand over some of the draft decisions, whether it's the earlier rounds, whether it's the middle rounds and some different free agency decisions to somebody else. And clearly his guy is Heimerdinger because that's who got promoted, even though he's in his early 30s. And these are the kind of guys that you'll be hearing about. And I've seen his name appear in the scouting notebook before for you, Matt, that these are the guys, no matter how young they are, there's a changing of the guard. And these are the guys that are going to get interviews for GM jobs over the next two to three years. It's as simple as that. So get to know them now. You have to put his name on that short list of future GMs. And to the people listening who would say, why would I hire a GM from the Jets? I've, I've talked about this before. Good scouts are on bad teams, too. They really are. And so if you're a good area scout or a good director of college scouting or a good director of player personnel, you are still under a general manager who can make bad decisions. And the only way to know that is to live in that world. And I'm not saying that's what McCagnin is. I think you know, the jury is still out on him. But 
you can be a very good scout on a very bad team and and still be a guy who should or could be a good general manager one day. So two young guys, you know, both, like you said, Heimerdinger's uh, 31 years old. Like th- this is the future of the NFL as some of these older general managers start to phase out. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's one of those things where McCagnan might recognize, hey, my clock can be ticking and I need to hand off some responsibilities that I'm simply just not excelling at. The Jets have had, I would say, average drafts since he took over. They've found some talent in the later rounds. They've found some UDFA talent, whether it's Robbie Anderson, who's their number two wide receiver. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of guys that are from day three starting for them this year that have flashed, whether it's Brandon Shell, whether it's Justin Burris, their cornerback. But Mm -hmm. it's interesting. This, to me, these things fly under the radar, but I do think they mean something. I I think it's you don't just get that title without being promised new responsibilities or new opportunity. No, I don't think so either. It's like watching Game of Thrones, you know, when you when you evaluate the moving chairs of the NFL. Yes. And it, it is. That's the promotion that comes with responsibility, whether that's in free agency or the draft. I think yeah, it's not like there's a, a political you know bickering going on there. And if there were, we wouldn't know about it because the, there are no leaks out of there anymore. Uh, but it's, it is a situation where I think there's more of a division of, of power right now. And that, that could be a great thing. You know, you look at a lot of successful teams – um, have allowed their you know scouts and assistants to be more involved in that process. And I, I think you can look at Seattle and Green Bay as great situations where that has worked over the last 10 years. So obviously, you know, those are pretty big promotions, especially of each, because it's going to be interesting to see where the Chiefs go now. He's set up for success. It's a good roster. They have a young quarterback with as much talent as anyone that you'll ever see. And they have a great coach, Andy Reid. So it's going to be really interesting to see where that goes. It's going to really be interesting to see where the Jets go after this year, not during this year, because they're going to have about, God, $70, $80 million in cap space oh, and <laughs> and a, probably a premium pick. And speaking of cap space, it looks like the Rams are not expected to get a franchise uh, extension done with Tremaine Johnson. So, you know, he'll play out the year on the tag and he'll be a big name to watch next year. But um, we have plenty of draft-on-draft questions, so we're going to split them up today before we preview the edge defenders and off-ball linebackers. We'll get right into it. You guys have been leaving them on iTunes. It's easier for us to see. You've been sending them to the Twitter account. We really appreciate that. This one from DJ Brigard. Who is the best walk-on of all time? Oh, wow. It's a great question. I have two names. Hard. Of all times hard because of just the research. I have two recent names that are a little relatable to NFL fans right now, and that would be the obvious J.J. Watt. Yeah, that's the one I thought of. The one that's way more interesting to me, though, and Watts is super interesting. I mean, we always joke how, like, I, I don't love him, you know, J.J. Watt, the person you do. But his, I mean, he it's an amazing story. But Antonio Browns is fascinating because he was an undersized quarterback uh, coming out of the Miami area on a really good team. I believe it was Norland High School. And he tried out, and uh, he got a scholarship within, like, a week. And they obviously moved him to receiver and ended up being a day three pick that's now, you know, arguably the best wide receiver in yeah. the NFL. Thank you, Dan LaFever, for making this all possible. Because, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. That's a, that's still a funny story that we always talk so about. I think, yeah, I, I think J.J. Watt should be up there. Antonio Brown should be up there. Um, Jordy Nelson and Clay Matthews are two that come to mind. I know the Packers, yes. like, really promoted that. Uh, Ziggy Ansah uh, with the Lions was a walk-on. Um, those those are the guys that I know of who, you know, like you said, without doing three days of research, those are probably the best active players uh, who have been walk-ons. But, you know, it's it's crazy how many guys every year we see in the draft where it's like, yeah, he didn't he didn't even have any offers. He had to walk on. He had to he had to pave his own way. And and it it leaves a chip on your shoulder. And I think we still see that with JJ Watt. Like you said, whether you love him like I do or not as much love him like you do. I, I think that it it motivates guys throughout their career. Yeah, it keeps them working hard. I mean, Antonio Brown gets a lot of credit for being such a hard worker. And when you look at all of his steps, listen, quarterback coming out of the Miami area, had to walk on Central Michigan. And then obviously making the switch to receiver was still not fully believed in, obviously being a very late draft pick and then getting his opportunity and now getting really good contract extension and capitalizing on that. So I, I love that question. I think it's really interesting. It would be really interesting to deep dive like 40 years ago to see some of the guys that were walk-ons, but 
All right, that's going to take some time. So we'll move it along. <laughs> this next one from Ace underscore 13 Smith. Five seconds left to score game-winning touchdown. What cornerback are you taking to make the stop? Sherman, Patrick Peterson, Marcus Peters, or another one? Ooh. This is right now. I saw you now, tweet about this. So. I saw you tweet, and you thought yes. that we would have different answers, so I'll let you yes, go first. I, I think we will. Uh, I'm going to take Richard Sherman Ooh. because I think he's the smartest cornerback in the league. I think Patrick Peterson is the most talented, and I think Marcus Peters is the best gambler. So if I have to find reliability in that situation, I would take Richard Sherman because I feel like he's been there before, as we've seen. That's tough um, because Sherman, I think, has the best technique, too. So he has linked. He has ball skills. He's physical. He's tough. Um, gosh, that's hard. I'm going to take Marcus Peters just that's because what I guy. That's what I expected you to say. He's so physical playing the ball in the air. The problem is he's either going to pick this ball ball off or it's going to be a touchdown it's like it could be a little all or nothing with him sometimes and like you said sherman's situationally so smart two years ago i would have said revis and it would have been into conversation though that's what i was going to say this is definitely a right now thing because god there was a couple of years there where revis was the surest thing that i mean we had seen in the last decade so okay this next one from one of our favorite accounts at Browns can't draft. I love that. His name is Ryan. What NFL players would you want on your team for the beer Olympics? Example, one player for beer pong, one player for case race, etc. Oh man. Beer pong is a hard one. Cause I'm going to take Tom know. Brady. I, I yeah, think it's that's Tom smart. Brady. Just the accuracy. Okay. Um, and we know that he's clutch, you know, he can handle it. So I would definitely want him case race. I would say Gronkowski. Yep. I, it's just like, wow, I'm just taking a Patriots team here. Yeah, it's so really. hard. Well, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm taking Chad Pennington for the beer pong game. Ooh. Pennington was like the ultimate dink and dunk 70% completion. Yeah, for, Or true. Teddy. I would take Teddy, too. Teddy. Teddy would be fun. I think yeah. Alex Smith would be good, too. Yeah. All those guys that just throw out, you know, that 5 to 12-yard range. And case race, I just want the craziest person alive. I'm trying to think of, like, the craziest offensive lineman in the league right now that you know could down... That could really handle their chunk. I've, I've done a case race before. Uh, when I, I was, haven't. I, uh, I mean, it's it so, something that sounds so much better than it was. Like, out of all the things, stupid things we did in college, a case race is hilarious because it's fun until you get stuck on a crappy team. So when I did it, uh, one of my teammates was really sick and powered through and had, like, six of the beers. And my other teammate just it was horrible. And people just throw up everywhere, like, 40 minutes into it. And yeah. we were in we were in our like dorm building, so you can imagine the mess that turned into. So you need somebody that can handle at least their ten beers, hopefully more. I'm I'm sticking with Gronk, but it like yeah, I don't blame you at all. You know, any offensive lineman, Kyle Long would be a low key one because I feel like he could he could handle his own. So I would yeah, I would Kyle think Long. about like a Zach Martin, but type I player. It's this segues me to a, a I remi- was reminded that I I promised my group of friends I was gonna tell you we paid up on our bet from the nba finals um if you guys don't remember we had a bet i have a close group of friends there's four of us two of us uh myself and Mello, who's sometimes on the show with us had the Cavs. dan and mitch had the warriors uh, if they won we had to chug five beers if we won they had to do five shots back to back and connor you said that you thought we got the better deal let me tell you chugging <laughs> five beers back to back is not Enough. easy not no, yeah the shots was probably yeah, oh, Mello yeah. threw up. Uh, I think he was like a beer and a half in. Um, and then he went full Stone Cold Steve Austin and just started slamming the beers together and then like bathing in them. Um, it was it was interesting. Uh, and it, the beer was too cold. Uh, I'll tell you that. But Beer Olympics is like we need to make a stick to football Beer Olympics. And that'd be and awesome. really get this thing off. That the would be the best event we could do. I want to participate and commentate, though. So I don't know how to. Yes. I'll be like Giancarlo Stanton and just. I'm going to do my thing, and then I'll commentate after. Maybe yeah, I'll do this. That's perfect. And we might need Mello and Nelson to sit in, too, just to kind of give us an extra hand in case we get a little too drunk. Uh, <laughs> Nelson would be good at commentating because he wants no part of, uh, of being yeah, he's, on this. Yeah, he's level-headed, going to stay away from the beer. Uh, this next question from <laughs> Richard Royal. This is a tough – this is a really tough question. I don't have an answer for all of them. But uh, who is the best backup running back in each major conference? I say this to highlight Tony Brooks-James from Oregon. One oh, that comes yeah, to my good. mind is is Sony Michelle 
at Georgia. Yeah, at Georgia. James Butler now at Iowa since yes. he transferred from uh, That's Nevada. right. That's a good one. So there are a lot of good ones. Um, those are the three that would come to mind for me. And, you know, with, with running backs, there's so much turnover in college that it's oh, hard to, like, highlight. So many injuries. Yeah. So it, it is really hard to just say, like, oh, you know, this guy, this guy, because, you know, there is so much. I mean, like Alabama, just Bo Scarborough count, like— He's technically yeah. a backup running back. So it, it is hard to say, you know, uh, you know, Oklahoma, even though they lost two running backs, their depth charts ridiculous. So uh, there are a lot of really, really talented running backs out there. But uh, Michelle at Georgia and uh, Butler at Iowa, the two guys I would point out. Yeah, those are those are really good calls. This next one was from iTunes. He left his name as unknown with exclamation points and question marks. So yeah. I, I would love to. I'd love to give him a better shout out than that, but thoughts on Gil Brandt's top 20 cornerbacks of all time list. I was going to avoid this, but God, uh, this, yeah, you can imagine, listen, Darrell Rebus was my favorite football player growing up, and the disrespect and the fact that Malcolm Butler, who I think every single Jets receiver in the last two years has caught a touchdown over in the MetLife back right south end zone, is on that list. And I know One Super play. Bowl hero, he's a good One player. Play. Oh, Eric Decker, Brandon Marshall, Quincy and Nunwa. Uh, yeah, they've had a field day against him. I know I'm going to take a lot of heat for just trashing Malcolm Butler. But this is the all-time cornerbacks list. All-time. So I've had an issue with every list that he's put out so far. So sure. it's like I was waiting for someone to bring it up because I didn't want to just bring it up on my own. But, man, these lists are not good. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott was like a top 25 all-time running back. Why do we have Gore to live in the moment like that? Yeah, way. exactly. Come on. That's bullshit. Just to I, give I everybody know. a little run back. In I'll case, say. Yeah. Go if ahead. somebody who's done these lists, it is hard. And you always of feel course. like you're going to leave someone out. But that's why you have a staff of people who, or even just some friends, where you can be like, hey, am I missing anyone here? And if you're Gil Brandt, who I've seen him walking around the combine with two assistants who just follow him. So you know he has some help in NFL Network. It is hard to do these things, but man, I I have not been a fan of of this list at all. And I actually haven't read the corners list because I read the running backs list and was like, nope, I don't need, smart. I don't need this in my life. It's well, bad I enough. Saw, yeah, I saw enough because of the Rebus cry. But just to give everyone a run back, Deion Sanders was number one. That's fine. Rod Woodson eh. number number two. I, listen, yeah, you can make arguments otherwise, but Deion's number one. That's fine. Rod Woodson, Mike Haynes, Charles Woodson, Willie Brown. That's the top five. Six, Mel Blunt. Now, there's a lot of throwbacks on here. If you don't recognize some of these names, it, it was it's nope. harder to play yeah. corner now, so it's it's tough to make this list. It's a tough task. Can Darryl, I say this real yeah. quick? I think Deion Sanders is one of the most overrated players in NFL history. Uh, I would love to hear this rant. No, it's just he I don't disagree. such an entertainer. Yeah. And I think a lot of people forget how good of an actual player he was. Like, he had he was great at picking off passes and returning to first touchdown. He was great at punt returns and he was a great showman. But he was like Lavar Ball of the nineties, you know, like let me talk my shit up. And he really had about five good years. Because yep. after he had one good year with the Cowboys, he was with the Falcons for three, four years that were good. The Niners one year. He sucked after that. He was not good in Washington. He was not good in Baltimore. Uh, and I know he was getting older and he was banged up, but if Dion had been as quiet as Rod Woodson, we would not be talking about him. But because That's he was so fucking loud, people love him. And I loved him because he played for the Niners. I wore 21 uh, in junior high trying to be Dion. And but the older I've gotten, man, there are a lot of corners I would take over Dion. And I know a lot of people listening are gonna hate me. I have some friends who are gonna hate me because they <laughs> like Dion. But man, I think Daryl Green was a better corner than Dion. Well, just to put this list in perspective, there's 15 corners over Darrell Revis, and Malcolm Butler is number 20. 20! Yeah, I can't do that, man. Just can't what, do it. Whatever. All right. Well, we'll move it on. We got a little angry. It's fine. All right. Last one for Draft on Draft of Part 1. This is from a Border Patrol agent. Is his iTunes name. That's interesting. Who are the 10 best bargains in the NFL who are great building blocks for a team trying to contend? So he left a long question. He's basically saying, Whew. you're building a team that's trying to contend, and you're taking the salary cap into mind. What would be 10 building blocks? We could just rattle off a couple of names here. Obviously, you go for the rookie wage scale. Uh, I mean, but there's, yeah, yeah there's Prescott. a... Yeah, 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 that's exactly one. I mean, for so long, Russell Wilson was that guy. Yeah, Tom Brady would still kind of be that guy. I would, take, um, I would take Tom Brady if you're still factoring the salary cap yeah, compared to his because hit. Because he's so low. Um, yeah, I I would have said Derek Carr like two weeks ago. 
Um, at quarterback, geez, quarterback, I'd probably take Dak Prescott. I really would just because of how inexpensive he is because he was such a late pick. I mean, he's probably I, he, not probably he has to be the lowest paid starting quarterback in the NFL. So there I'm set for four years or three more years, excuse me, because he was uh, a late pick. But you see like Kirk Cousins and Joe Flacco and Carson Palmer making 24 million a year. Like, yeah, give me Dak Prescott making, you know, what, 350 something yeah. like that. You know, um, what one of the best ones is. Aaron Donald at a three point two oh, million dollar yeah. cap hit. That's how do you great. like that? That's I super mean, smart. Yeah, Joey um, Bosa. I would take Joey Bosa. Too. You can build almost a, you know, a team full of guys that have only been in the league for three years or under, and you'd probably build a Super Bowl team because there's the NFL has become such an instant impact league. I mean, Odell yeah. Beckham has been in the league for three years, uh, and he's had absolute phenomenal seasons. There's so much talent; it's unbelievable. That's a that's a long you could do a lot with that question, that's but like I a think fun yeah. article. You that, know, like, it's that's a long form. Here's some ridiculous, piece. you know, salaries that you can steal. Um, but yeah, that's that is a good that's a good topic though. Why we'll do I remember that for next summer when things get slow? We can just we can do a little auction on here and and build a team off this and stay away from Justin Houston and Clay Matthews and the, yes. all the overpaid players right now. Yeah, Mo Wilkerson. Uh, so. All right, so we're going to get into the, you know, we're going to preview the edge class. We're going to preview a couple of the off-ball linebackers. Uh, there's one interesting note that I wrote down here that I want to start with. And obviously, Arden Key is, yeah, out of LSU, is a guy that gets a lot of publicity, you know, double-digit sacks last year. He's been excellent. He's six foot six, super long, athletic. I saw, now this isn't, DJ didn't make this, like, direct comparison, but he basically said there's some things with Key that reminds him of Jason Taylor. Ooh, and that Dang. fascinates me. Is it the height? Because how many six foot six edge rushers do we see are that natural of movers and just that gifted? Not many. Or is, not many. Now with Key, do you have concerns about the absence from the team or the shoulder surgery? You know, going yeah. into this year, that, I mean, there, there's questions to be answered. But from a talent perspective. You know, what are we looking at with Key? Are we looking at probably a top five pick unless something goes awfully wrong? Are we looking at, you know, just a back-end first-round guy? I I think he looks like a top-ten talent, but there's a lot of questions to be answered. I think he does, too. Maybe even top five. Um, My first thought, which is funny, is I thought he looks like John Abraham the first time I saw him play, like like a young John Abraham. Um, I really like that. But Key has allegedly put on weight. I mean, the 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 word is he's up to like 265. Now, like you yes. said, the question is, you have a guy who stepped away from the team uh, in January, February, came back to the team, had shoulder surgery, and now it has been reported that he won't be ready to start uh, yep. start season or start camp because of the injury. So he, he has a lot of really big question marks hanging over his head right now. Um, it, but I love his play. I mean, he is... Everything you want in terms of athleticism, length, um, you know, bulk, burst, like he's got it all. So I like Arden Key a lot. Like you said, because of off-field stuff, I think you could look at someone like uh, Harold Landry, Cleveland Farrell at Clemson. Like those are other guys who athletically are on that tier with him. But because of because of Key's off-field, I mean, he could completely drop off. This could be huge. You know, he could be a top 10 pick. He could be a second or third round pick. So it is something that we're just going to have to watch to see how it plays out. But this is a great edge class. You know, I mentioned two guys there. Harold Landry is someone that scouts told me last year, hey, this kid will be a top 10 pick for 2018. He's that talented as a pass rusher. Uh, they think that he has the goods to be, you know, maybe even a Miles Garrett type pass rusher just because of, I mean, he's not that big. but Yeah, he's a little he, lighter. He looks like he weighs yeah. about 235. They list him around 250, but he looks like he has yeah. a 235 frame, which is fine. Vic Beasley was the same way. Like Von Miller, you know, honestly. Yeah. So, but he is, he's someone that teams talk about. And then Cleveland Farrell uh, really came on the scene last year on a really, really good Clemson defensive line. And there were times where he was the guy that dominated. So watching him play another really big guy who has all the size and speed and length the NFL teams want, like you have to pay attention to him because he's 6'5, 265 and has. The get up has the length um, and has the production that you have to pay attention to. And he was, uh, what was he, co defensive rookie of the year last year with Dexter Lawrence, a guy that everybody talks about as a, you know, future yeah. top, top five overall pick. 
Yeah, and when you look at that's another thing that adds to his stock, Wild or Rice. He's going to be on a defensive front where he's just going to be able to dominate. He should get should see plenty of one-on-one matchups. Although, the, as he gets better, I think teams will start to dedicate double teams to him. And when you look at going back to Landry real quick, he's the only senior out of this group. That's true. He's one of what the best seniors in the country. What I, he might be the best senior. Uh, what do you think, where would he have gone if he had come out last year? Because he had a great season. He had 16 and a half sacks. And you take into account, he probably missed two to three against Lamar Jackson because Lamar Jackson's a freak. <laughs> I think he probably would have been a top 20 pick safely yep. um, in a good edge class. Uh, I, I could have seen him being a, a top 20 pick just because yeah, he fits the mold. And there, are, as far as I know, and you know, haven't dug in super deep right now because it's not it's not time to. But as far as I know, there aren't any issues off the field to worry about. And he's he's not huge. But he fits perfectly as that 4-3 outside or 3-4 outside backer just because of his versatility. Yeah, and now we get into two guys from the Big 12 that, you know, are names that you might not have heard unless you're a Big 12 fans or, you know, obviously you went, you're an alumni from that school. But this is a guy you've been answering every time somebody asks you, what's <laughs> under the radar player do I need to know right now? Not a, Don't give me a quarterback. Don't give me a running back. What's an under the radar defender? And you always go back to Dorrance Armstrong. Dorrance Armstrong Jr. at Kansas. Yep, that's, this is my guy. Uh, came out of Houston went to Kansas and was really under the radar till this past season when he just took off uh, athletically. He is very, very special. I, I think people are going to be surprised with just what he can do as an athlete. Uh, I compared him to kind of a poor man's Hassan Reddick. He can rush off the edge. He can drop into the flats and cover. Um, I think he's an ideal weak side defensive end for the NFL. Maybe that means standing up. Maybe it means his hand in the dirt, but this is a kid who was like 210 pounds when he was recruited at Kansas. He's up to 250 right now and still growing. So uh, the arrow is pointing way up on him. And he was very productive last year. He had 20 tackles for a loss, 10 sacks. Um, and I think he forced two fumbles. So he he was – Kansas football is not fun, but no, he makes it worth watching. Like He's the dude that you actually want to watch and because he turns it on and, and he's unstoppable. Yeah, and being on a bad team has definitely kept him under the radar – a player that'll be on a good team and could really break out this year after a nine sack campaign last year is Obo Okoronkwo. I definitely yeah, butchered that. that. Yeah, I heard. I watched it earlier too, just to get it down. And I butchered it. And Obo is just 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 a nickname for his first name. But listen, when you look at him, he's explosive. I think coming out of high school, he was a six foot three, two hundred twenty pound guy that could already bench three forty, squat four ninety, vertical. At 36 inches. So that vertical might be able to get near that 40 mark. Four, five, eight, 40. So like you're looking at this guy coming out of high school, gigantic defensive end, only a three star. But I mean, I say only, it's still pretty good. But it seems like his best football is ahead of him is the point I'm trying to make, especially with Oklahoma moving to a four man front where they're just going to turn his ass loose right off the edge. Yeah, and they're so well coached at Oklahoma. I hate to say that as a Texas fan, but he's in a great spot to really get coached up. Uh, they are going to let him pin his ears back, and he's a little different than what we've seen from them in the past with some of those smaller guys like Eric Stryker. Uh, I, I think he has a chance to maybe be the Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year this year, just because what we've what we've seen from him, um, you know, as an outside linebacker, you know, he he's just there's something about watching him play. It's like, all right, number thirty one is going to make a play now, like, and he does it. Over and over and over again. Yeah, and I mean, just we're just rattling off names here of guys that are, you know, probably a little more under the radar. Obviously, Bradley Chubb is interesting to me because he was the only player I saw last year beat Mike McGlinchey for a sack. Yeah, Bradley Chubb's interesting because he could, I think he could stand up or he could go down. I mean, he can go all over the place. Um, I kind of, I think right now I have him grouped as a linebacker um I, I haven't put him in the edge group which people always freak out about that it could it could change it doesn't matter but he is i would say in that first to second round range um and a guy who again just so special at times um and i want to see what he actually measures that because i i think nc state lists him at like 275 so if so i need to to fix things and make sure he's listed yeah, at defensive end and not linebacker because uh, he's going to be fun to watch. Uh, some other guys at, at defensive end. We're going to get a lot of questions about Ohio State because they are very talented. Sam Hubbard, incredibly productive. What I've been told, and we've talked about this before, is that he won't test exceptionally well, so that can make him a second-round type guy. Tyquan Lewis will test well, but has to put it together on the field. I think that's even what people at Ohio State are still waiting on is for him to 
to do it all. And the, the same anti with Sam Hubbard. <laughs> yeah, the opposite. If you could combine them, they would be unstoppable. So Ohio State, they have three defensive ends who I think are draftable players. Um, not to mention how good they are at defensive tackle. We talked about Draymond Jones last week. Interior's loaded. Yeah, yeah, they are absolutely loaded. Uh, but moving into linebacker, they're also very loaded because Jerome Baker might be the best in the country. Uh, he is super athletic. You know, kind of that Ryan Shazier mold. Um, I, I think he's a better player than Darren Lee was, more instinctive. So he is going to be someone to absolutely watch uh, for next year because you know he could be a top fifteen pick, no doubt about it. Yeah, I think this off-ball linebacking class could be fun because you look at the type of athletes that we're seeing at the position now with your boy Malik Jefferson. And we've talked about yeah. Malik a lot where he came in freshman year and you know lived up to the hype, struggled a bit last year. Malik reminds me a bit of Darren Lee where he can get lost in the shuffle in traffic. He can get, you know, he doesn't work well through traffic right now. It's as simple as that, but you get the splash plays because he has exceptional speed. His pursuit is incredible. I see a lot of leader of him in the front seven. Obviously, all the recruiting he had done to rebuild that program says a lot about his character. I mean, you said many times he's a great kid. This has to be Malik Jefferson's year if he wants to be a first-round pick. Has to be. You know, I've said before, athletically, Malik Jefferson is Jalen Smith. But he has to turn it on. He has to become that player. Uh, There's nothing holding him back athletically, mentally. Like you said, he's a leader. He does get washed out at times, and it. I don't think it's that he doesn't see the play. He's just not getting there, so he's got to clean up his angles. But uh, you're talking about a guy who has the speed, flexibility, agility, mentality to do it all, so he needs to step up this year. I really like Cameron Smith at USC as well. That's going to be a fun defense to watch. They're going to fly all over the place. He looks like an NFL linebacker right now. I mean, he's probably close to 250 pounds, and the way he stops the run is exactly what you want, like, Let's plug this kid in and let him play. I mean, he he looks the part. Might be the best pure inside linebacker in the country. Yeah, just a guy that can kind of get downhill and has he has a little more thumper in him, I think, than Malik yep. and Baker necessarily do right now at this moment. But Baker, like you said, is a guy that you look at him and can be all world. So it's going to be really interesting between these three. Yeah, it will be, and it's a good class. You know, Alabama has T.J. Edwards. Um, Alabama has Christian Miller. Alabama has uh, Sean <laughs> Hamilton. Uh, they have Rashawn Evans, like Alabama. You could do it all day with Alabama. I mean, yeah. it's ridiculous. So, and you know, you know who might be one of the best backup running backs in the country too that nobody's seen play yet is maybe Najee Harris there behind Scarborough. So, yeah. So you're gonna see the you know the next generation come in, and it's always through Alabama. We're gonna take a break. We're gonna have Eugene Monroe on. We have plenty of great things to talk about with him. So we'll be right back after this. Hey everybody, welcome back to Stick to Football episode 13 and we are joined by our biggest guest, that's for sure so far, Eugene Monroe, a formerly uh, NFL player, former top 10 pick as well. Uh, I remember early in my scouting days watching you play ball, uh, just a great tackle coming out, had a really nice NFL career and then you did something that not many guys do, you walked away at what, 30 years old, uh, pretty young, so you walked away from the game. And now you are very involved in uh, advocating for marijuana research as kind of an alternative to pain medicine. So you've got an interesting story, man. But for people who maybe don't remember or don't know, like what caused you to walk away from the game really at a time when you were in your prime and at a position left tackle where guys are making a lot of money? Man, um, a lot brought me to that point. Uh the majority of it really being like thinking about my long-term health uh, as it related to the injuries I had, uh, particularly concussions. Um, I had one the last season that I played uh, the very first game of the season uh, and pretty much missed a month uh, and really probably uh, shouldn't, shouldn't have stepped back on the field after that. I mean, I still suffer uh, from, you know, the same symptoms, uh, from that concussion, uh, even now and it's, you know, well over a year and a half later. Um, so, you know, I thought about that, you know, I saw tons of older guys who are in just such bad shape. Um, and it's, it's lots of them. It's not just a few guys you hear about, but so many players who are just struggling in all aspects of their lives. And, um, you know, I, I thought it was, the right time to 
step away. And, and certainly physically I, I I'd had enough injuries, um, uh, still dealing with some things uh, that I didn't even know, uh, you know, I had while I was playing, um, whether it was just, you know, getting hurt and maybe I had, you know, anti-inflammatories that day or, or Vicodin or something uh, for an injury and then something else happened. You know, I, I don't know, but I definitely, you know, don't feel good a year removed. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually glad I made the decision. No regrets whatsoever. Well, you've already donated $80,000 to marijuana research. When did that interest in that field first start? Was there a moment while you were in the locker room or on the sidelines or at practice or even away from the game? What was your first time where you were like, this is something I want to be involved with? And and dedicating that large amount of money to you shows how passionate you are about it. Well, I took some time really to start researching uh, all ways to heal my body uh, in a more natural way, not not really just initially for pain management, but but for a lot uh, dealing with inflammation and chronic uh, old injuries, and uh, and then also just the little things that you have to do uh, as an aging athlete. So uh, you know, I I certainly uh, came across tons of information about marijuana. And, um, you know, at that point, I didn't know a lot about it. I, I really stayed away from it, uh, really for a lifetime and, uh, got some information, saw a special actually on, on a girl, Charlotte, who, uh, was suffering from seizures and marijuana that, you know, wasn't even getting her high seemed to uh, relieve those symptoms. So I saw that and, uh, it was real. I reached out to those people and met with them in Colorado in the realm of caring. Uh, and it was an awesome experience. It was really, and that was much later. That, that was after I retired. But, um, you know, it, it was really a revelation. You know, this is something that has been demonized for so long. Uh, meanwhile, it's providing relief all around the world. And athletes need access to it. Yeah, one thing that, that I've noticed, and, you know, you, you walked away almost a year ago, exactly, um, decided to retire. And at the time, you had said that you thought maybe your your advocacy and interest in marijuana was a reason um, that, that you had had some trouble with the Baltimore Ravens, the team you were signed with at the time. So when you look at what you were trying to do, you know, you're, you're being outspoken about, hey, this might be a better, healthier way for us as players. Do you see any parallels between what you went through and what someone like Colin Kaepernick is going through right now, where he's not, he's not even getting looked at. And I don't know how much you've kept up with the game over the last year, but do you, do you think in the NFL that that could happen where you know, maybe it's not collusion, not owners aren't getting together, deciding to do this, but you know, whether it's you or Kaepernick, that the teams are just deciding to stay away from these controversial topics. You know, it, uh, these things tend to continue to happen. And, uh, you know, I think it's really uh, not valuable to spend time thinking about, you know, why things are the way they are. I think we need to move to a place where, uh, you know, everyone can sit down uh, and talk about these issues um, in, in an open way and, and move towards resolving them when it comes to uh, issues that players raise. I mean, uh, thinking about the, the passion that, that Colin speaks with, uh, you know, if, if the NFL is family, well, that's that's one of our family members voicing his opinion or something very seriously. And I think, you know, if you don't agree with how it's, how he's doing it, well, uh, that's okay. But certainly, he's he's demonstrating that he feels that something uh, needs to be addressed. So, you know, let's let's take a look at it. I don't know how that's affecting, uh, you know, his uh, employment with the team. Uh, maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Overall, I don't think that's the most significant thing. And, and even the issue that I speak most frequently about with, with cannabis access in the NFL, I mean, it's it's a healthcare issue. Uh, and, and we know that's been a, a battle between the players and the owners uh, really forever in the NFL. Yeah, it really has been. So, so as the general public becomes more and more aware of the dangers of painkillers and the benefits of medical marima- marijuana, what are ways that we can continue to raise awareness of both of these things? Because I think it is an issue that, you know, goes hand in hand where it's, hey, we should take the next step and, and learn the benefits of medical marijuana. But people need to also be aware of what they're putting in their body and how dangerous 
painkillers are. What can we do, you know, to raise that awareness? Well, this this is, you know, uh, not a light topic. We're dealing with something that that does have medical value, although some people don't believe it does. However, uh, there are physicians all around the country who are able to recommend marijuana to their patients who are able to track their usage. And, uh, you know, they've demonstrated the reduction of opioid drugs. And, and, and really, some people with very debilitating conditions are even able to, uh, you know, maintain health without taking all of the pharmaceutical drugs that they were before. Uh, as this data amasses and more and more people are experiencing this type of relief, I mean, you know, we it's unfortunate that we're not able to uh, do more focused research efforts on this. I mean, because, you know, if you spend time at any dispensary, for example, and just listen, uh, you know, to the medical patients talk about some of the things they've dealt with, whether it was someone who uh, had been carrying lumber and, 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 and working in, in steel or doing some type of hard labor for a lifetime and it has terrible back pain every day. Uh, that guy might be going to pain management and taking opioids. Well, you know, he, he doesn't have to do that if, if cannabis is available to him. Uh, and, and really the same thing uh, correlates with athletes and, and their issues as well. So I have a, a personal interest for this. You know, my oldest brother um, is, is 40 years old, now, 41 years old now, and has muscular dystrophy. And I live in Missouri where, you know, you, you can't get medical cannabis. It's not a thing. But doctors have told us that, hey, like this would probably help him out with, like you just said, with some of the back pain or hip pain or, or even just weight management. Like it, it might just make his quality of life better. So I guess from a personal and like professional level, I'm kind of curious, like what's next for you know, you and, and, you know, the people that you're working with to kind of advocate this, is it, is it something where you're, you're focused on the NFL or are you focused like nationwide where, you know, this, this trying to make it to where, Hey, it's all 50 States or it's just a federal law where this medical marijuana is, is legal. Or is it, are you focused more on the NFL side of things right now? You know, I, this is something that I'm extremely passionate about. Um, you know, I, I firmly believe that, you know, the quality of my life is definitely improved by, uh, using cannabis. Uh, you know, I've got some injuries that cause issues on a daily basis, even while I play, uh, you know, both teams in the NFL that I played for know it well. And those, you know, injuries were exacerbated during my career, having further injuries. Um, and you know, it's been, it's been really a lifesaver. I don't take any pills. I mean, the only pills I take are, are vitamins and fish oils and stuff like that. Um, or maybe like a, a cannabis gel cap. Uh, but, but, but certainly no anti-inflammatory drugs or, or painkillers. And I've seen, you know, other former players do the same thing. I spent time with Brian Schaefering, who was a D lineman I played against early in my career. And when I met him, uh, you know, his wife carried around his bag of medicine in her purse and, uh, you know, he, he'd have to take those pills. Uh, you know, we were just out for a few hours and, and he swallowed, you know, a few handfuls. Uh, I spoke to him recently and, you know, it, it was like talking to a different person. Uh, he had clarity and, um, you know, he just felt better. He was motivated to, you know, start to really get his life in order now that he was no longer thinking about killing himself or his family. Uh, so th this is serious, and uh, this is really uh, impacting people's lives across our country. Eugene, thank you so much. We love what you're doing. If there's anywhere that you'd like to recommend for people that are listening to this to get involved or to learn more, you know, where would that be? There's tons of places to get involved. Uh, I'm a part of Doctors for Cannabis Regulation. You can go to dfcr.org uh, and check out what those guys have done. It's a group of physicians really around the world at this point who believe that cannabis prohibition uh, is, is totally unnecessary and also a public uh, health and safety issue, um, as well as all of the medical uh, information that you could want, both you know either detrimental or or, or, or beneficial. Uh, we are not you know touting that cannabis is perfect and not you know forcing anyone to accept it. However, 
understanding that it does have great medical application for people and, and no one really should be punished for using it. Alternatively, there's other organizations around the country like uh, the Drug Policy Alliance, the Marijuana Policy Project, the Students for Sensible Drug Policy, all of which really fight for people to have access to this medicine. That's awesome, man. And I actually learned a lot just on your website, just eugenemonroe.com. You know, we knew for about a week or two we were going to have you on. And that was all my research was right there on your own website. So it's a great resource for, listen, whether you're a high school player, former high school player listening to this, um, former college player, former NFL player, like there is a ton of information on your website just about the benefits of this and the science behind it. So I learned something today, which is not something we say on this podcast very often. We're, we're usually kind of goofy, kind of fun, but man, we do appreciate your time and for opening our eyes and hopefully opening a lot of the, the eyes of our listeners to something that is a, a pretty serious uh, condition right now in the NFL. So thank you again for your time, man. Oh, no, thank you. Thanks for letting me uh, talk to you and all the people who listen in. Hey, welcome back for the end of Stick to Football episode 13. We're going to answer some more of your draft on draft questions. But first, Connor, we have to talk about something super important to me. Today is National Cow Appreciation Day. It's a great day. I try to eat steak like every day. And I know my I don't have a cardiologist, but if I did, he would probably hate me for it. Um, <laughs> Same with me. So, um, but shout so out, PETA. Yeah, we want you guys to leave in your iTunes review this week. What is your favorite cut of steak? Mine. I like to get a flame mignon, but I'm I'm crazy. I like to butterfly it and then get it medium. Yeah, so I, I mean, still like the hockey puck of steak. Like, cut that sucker in half for me. Give it to me medium and just let me go. I'm a, I'm with you, but I'm a medium rare guy. Uh, I Ooh. do like the steak bleeding. I feel like I get more and more closer to rare every year. Like, there's times where, and now I notice when I order it at most places medium rare they get like nervous and i still kind of get closer to medium it's <laughs> so, like one of these days i'm gonna be like you know what i want a rare steak i'll i'll tough it out if i get food poisoning or whatever but steak's the greatest thing on planet earth there's no questions asked it is and you know this is like people probably know our tradition of ours every time i come up and visit you we go get a steak whether it's at arthur's and hoboken or whether we go to quality quality meats quality the- meats great now yeah. i'm Gonna have to go to the to the store and buy some steak and, and throw them on the grill tonight, and because uh, I'm hungry. Now we could o- almost start like a like you did the Q39 review to open the podcast I, with steak. We're almost at the point where we could just like rattle off a review every time. I mean, we've done a we've covered plenty of spots in Hoboken. The last one was Antique, uh, which was delicious, just smaller portions. Quality meats is obviously you know a pricier option, but it's awesome in New York yeah. City. So. My old school favorite was Vic and Anthony's. I don't even know if they still have it up there anymore. I, I thought I heard it closed, maybe. Possibly. I haven't heard. Yeah, I haven't checked it out. It was on like Park Avenue back in back in the early Bleach Report days. That was that was a good cut of meat. So I'm yeah, I'm all in if you want to do a stick to football steak review, uh, especially because I'm going to be in Dallas in a couple months and I know Oof. some great spots. So I might just That's eat steak for every meal like I do in Indianapolis when I'm there. Well, our first question uh, has something that I think is the perfect pairing besides red wine with steak, and that's IPAs. This one's from at SweetUpDown06. Are New England IPAs an actual style? Wait, did he mean New England or Northeast? I don't. I have to go back and look. I think he meant New England. God, it's always bad when you can't read your own notes. I think he meant New England. And can Evan Ingram actually be consistently involved in the Giants blocking game? I love the turn that took. I'm going to let you handle the... Yeah, I was going to say, that was the exact answers. Yeah, so there's definitely different styles of IPAs. There's no doubt about that. I had always heard of, and I'm not an IPA guy, but I'd always heard of a Vermont IPA, not a New England IPA. But I imagine they're the same thing, right? Uh, Yeah, I guess so. So to answer that, yeah, it's an actual style, uh, we believe. And Evan Ingram is not going to be a guy that is ever going to help you in pass protection. He's not a tight end. He's a big wide receiver. I know. I feel like a broken clock, and I hate that that's going to become like my thing this year, that he's not a tight end. He's a big wide receiver. But I'm just going to say every single time his name gets brought up. It doesn't mean he's bad. He's good. He's just not a tight end. Drafted to do so, no, yeah, he might chip in the run game a little bit, but no, no he's doubt, not, it's not Jake Butt, it's not you know, George Kittle. You drafted a big receiver, that's exactly who he is. You know, what's kind of funny is that I think if you put them next to each other, 
he's like the same exact size as Brandon Marshall. I remember talking about that. Yeah. Uh, when you look at them size, side by side, excuse me, and you look at their height, weight, it is. They're pretty much the same dude. Yeah, like Marshall used to come into Jets camp at 235. Bowles wanted him lighter last year. He came in at like 228. But he's a 235-pound, like no body fat kind of guy. Ingram's That's, the same yeah. kind of build. So, I mean, he's not as ripped as B. Marsh. But at the end of the day, they're going to trot out some big wide receivers next year, and they're not going to be there to block. So no, not this one from TSB22, why is no one talking about Florida State quarterback DeAndre Francois? Oh, I think it's just because he's so young. You know, that's so probably too. the biggest thing is let's give it time. I mean, there's so much focus right now on the the three-year guys, you know, Rosen, uh, Allen, Darnold. And so when I think when you look at Francois, like, yeah, he did redshirt in 2015. Um, so he is technically draft eligible, but I think it's just he's still so young as a player. Um, and also, I, I think there's always going to be questions about that style of offense they're playing right now. But you know, he was great last year. I watched him against Ole Miss. He looked fantastic. Um, and I would say that, you know, it's definitely pointing up how big is he though? That's he's about, about, he's about six two. So, yeah, I mean, he's, but he's probably 200 pounds. Uh, yes. And I'll say this, he got the shit kicked out of him last year and constantly bound. I mean, I thought the Clemson defensive line was going to break him in half and yeah. he constantly got back up, but he's got to get to, he's going to have to be like. You know, like we really saw over time Mariota fill out and Deshaun Watson put mm-hmm. on weight over the... I think the better one is Watson because I think they're both around 6'2", and I think you'd like him to get up to the 215, 218 kind of range, especially if he's going to be taking those hits. Yeah. That'd be great. He's tough as hell. I think he's one of the best at throwing on the run in the entire country, but at the end of the day, you have to you know develop I, accuracy as a pocket passer. Yeah, and the thing is, like everyone remembers your last game, and his last game was against Michigan, where he had nine completions. Yes, on twenty-seven attempts, and he exactly. had exactly like, accuracy is a problem. Yeah, yeah, so it's just a matter. I think that's the problem. Like you said, Clemson kind of kicked the shit out of him. Florida beat him up, even though they won that game, and they beat Michigan by a point, obviously. But he had some rough games where the completion percentage was poor, the accuracy was poor, and I, I think. You know, he had a stretch there at the end of the year where he threw a pick in every game, if I remember right. So I think it's just great athlete. Obviously, um, it's just a matter of let's see, let's see what he can keep doing. And I, I do want to see him fill out because six two, two hundred pounds is just too small. Yeah, you'd like to see him put a little more weight on the frame, but I, I do think he can be a really nice player and definitely a really solid quarterback prospect. We just need time. It's as simple as that. So yep. the next question from Mr. Fantas Mo 96. I wonder if he's a Mo Wilkerson fan with Mo 96. Probably not. But uh, is there a reason why teams don't release their big boards after the draft? I mean, I could think of a couple right off the top of my head. I'm sure you have some actual ones from directly from front offices. But the obvious to me is, number one, you don't really want to give away any information, whether it's draft tendencies, because teams exactly. do have draft tendencies. And why would you give that away? And at the end of the day, there's just no need to. And it's only going to hurt you. And if something's only going to hurt you, stay away from it. it. Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, you don't want anyone to know your tendencies. You don't want people to know you. even just, you know, what you evaluate about a player. So it, you could say like, oh, we'll just, just release the big board. I think that's still incredibly risky. I, I would not do it if I were, you know, if I ever leave this job to work for a team, there is no way in hell that big board's getting out. You also, like, you just don't want people to know who you valued. You exactly. know, like if, if you're the... You know, if you're the team picking fifth, you don't want people to know who your number five player was or who your number 10 player is. And I think it just it it leaves too much, too many like possibilities for negative things to happen. So as a fan, hell yeah, you we would all love that as a media member. It would give us shit to talk about for for our year, but it, no team's ever going to do that. Our next question from DJ5892, outside of Saquon Barkley, where do you see other Penn State players being drafted and why? I think the tight end, Gusecki, is that how to say his name? I always botch his name. Gusecki is back of the first round potential is as a tight end in this class. I don't think he's there yet. I think he's more in the top 50 kind of player mold, but he's the guy besides Barkley that I'm watching at Penn State. Yeah, and I, I like Gusecki as well. I think there there might be some injury concerns if I'm remembering right. Marcus Allen at safety is the guy. Like he almost came out last year. He gave a lot of 
thought to that. So I would look at him as maybe a top three safety for next year. Uh, Deshaun Hamilton at wide receiver is going to be an interesting guy to watch. Um, a little bit of a thicker bodied guy, um, but I, I really like his play. He you know, kind of got overshadowed last year with Chris Godwin there, but I think Hamilton is a, a really nice player to watch. Um, and then obviously, you know, we have to watch the quarterback there too. Um, I don't, I don't think he's a you know, high level quarterback prospect, at least what I've seen right now. Yeah, McSorley, but, uh, McSorley, yeah. but it's a little smaller. Still watch him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Godwin you, definitely you saved his ass a couple of times last year, but yes. no, there's no doubt you always have you always have to watch that. So it'll be interesting to close out the show. We have back to back questions from Hunter Neal, and these are really interesting questions. What big player for player NBA style trades would you like to see happen in the NFL? I wish there were more. I really do. Same here. It's just, yeah. it's logistical nightmare with the way the salary cap works, with the way the rosters are set up. And I know the NBA has a salary cap. So, but it's just different. The way there's a reason why you don't see it's It's tougher to execute. It's as simple as that. It's easier to do it with picks in the NFL. It is. I, you know, the one that makes sense is the 49ers trading for Kirk Cousins. Now there's yes. not a there's not a straight player like you're not trading Joe Staley. Well, they don't need him. They have Trent Williams, but you know it, it's like you're not going to trade Eric Armstead and and Jimmy Ward for Kirk Cousins. You know, like it doesn't it doesn't work like that. It would be cool if it did, um, but that that one makes a lot of sense to me because there's familiarity familiarity there. Excuse me, but yeah, I think the reason we don't see them is because teams don't want to give up on guys. Like you don't want to admit you were wrong about a player and ship him off and. Because it's so hard to get a match on value, that's why we don't see it happen. You know, you look at all the free agents next year. You know, Tremaine Johnson, who you mentioned at the top of the show, Le'Veon Bell, Drew Brees, Kirk Cousins, like Matthew Stafford. Like, you know, those are big names that teams just, they would, because of the salary cap, they can make it affordable to keep these guys instead of trying to ship them off. So, you know, it, it just doesn't happen anymore. I wish the trade deadline were later so that we could see more guys traded from, you know, non-contenders to contenders, but it's just not going to happen. You know, I think would be fascinating to take a look at this question is if New England is truly going to keep, and this isn't going to happen, it would be shocking if it did, but if New England is truly going to keep Garoppolo and Tom Brady truly wants to play five more years in the NFL, one of them has to go. You can't, Jimmy Garoppolo is not just going to wait to be 30 years old to play quarterback for someone. Now, the Patriot, if the Patriots kept Brady, and you're in all-in mode, say Belichick's like, okay, I'll ride out these last couple of years with Brady. Wouldn't you want a player at that point? Wouldn't you I want would. a franchise left tackle for him? Or, yes. I mean, I know they, they you Especially. know, the offense. Yeah, if, say, Solder doesn't, you don't want to go long-term with Solder. Or say you want, say you lose Malcolm Butler and you have a chance to get a, a top-five corner. I'm just spitballing craziness that we would love to see. But that's another example of a time, a rare time, where I could see something crazy like that happening. So here's what I would do right now. I swear to God, I would do this right fucking now. I would trade <laughs> Joe Thomas for Jimmy Garoppolo. Done. Like, my drop, we're is, out. That's fascinating. And if you think you got three more years out of Tom, and you know you got maybe probably, I would say Joe has three more years left. I mean, he's in yeah. great shape. He hasn't, there hasn't been a decline at all. And he'd be in a perfect place. I mean, good luck. I good luck beating the Patriots this year. If something like that happened, good luck beating them the next three years. Yeah, and we almost so. saw Brandon Cooks go straight up for Malcolm Butler. That's so, right. Which yeah. I think we're getting closer, but Yeah, damn, top need- twenty top twenty corner of all time, Malcolm Butler for Brandon Cooks. <laughs> There's your if yeah. you hung around, if you hung around with us, that's what you get your joke of the day. Yeah, that's the end of the show is when things fall apart. So we have <laughs> one more question, okay? Sports Illustrated came out with their top 10 college player in 2017. Uh, who are ours? Like, who are your top 10 players? Well, we talked about a couple of them today, I think. I, I, yeah, I, Ar- Arden Key and Harold Landry and, God, maybe Cleveland Farrell might find their way in. Uh, yeah, no, we're counting underclassmen now, too. I'm getting crazy because, right. uh, yeah, Derwin James is in there. Uh, at Dexter Lawrence. God, this is really tough to just, like, on a Ed win Oliver. when you got... Yeah, oh, at Oliver and uh, Ray Sean Gary. It's hard I mean, too because are you talking about the best like prospects or college players? Because Lamar Jackson's one of the best college players. Yeah, he's a top he's five. He's a top five college player, but he's yeah, yeah he's not at probably yeah. So, but Ed Oliver and Ray Sean Gary would be way up there. Two underclassmen that you're That's like, damn, Lawrence, Christian damn. Wilkins. 
Yeah, it's tough. It's, you know, it's Derwin tough. James I mean, is sitting at the top there. Once he's, you know, we see it again now that Saquon he's healthy. Barkley yeah. sitting up there. Yeah, Darius guys. Like, I don't know that, you know, we talk about like, oh, college football's down, college football's down. College football should be up this year. Like, there are so yeah. many really, really good players. Like, I am excited. I'm more excited for college football than NFL football this year just because of how much talent is out there. I would agree. It's going to be a, a crazy good year for college football. Now, here's when I always flip the question. Are any of the top three quarterbacks, that's Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, are they top 10 college football players this Ooh, year? I think Sam Darnold would be. I would agree with that because what, the way he can elevate that USC team this year, and yeah. I, do expe- I do expect him to. And we talked about the defenders today. They got guys in the front seven that could play. They got guys in the secondary you know, you, you're hoping you get a big year from Iman Marshall. They're running back. for one. Ronald so, Jones? Yeah. He's special, too. So They have so much talent, and he's the guy that can elevate. We saw him already do it on a whim. What's it, you know? What's the grand finale going to be this year? Because I do think he's coming out. I know everybody's saying the opposite. I don't believe that for one yeah, second. We'll see. It's going to be, like you said, it's going to be a blast. I think Sam Darnold has a chance to be one of my favorite players in a long time just because of how he plays the game. Uh, we'll see where he ends up, you know, ranked as a prospect. But that'll do it, man. That's our show for this week. It, it I told you before we started recording, man, this might be a quick show this week. Uh, no, no <laughs> not at all. We're not good at quick shows. But thank you guys for hanging out with us for, throughout the show. Thank you to Eugene Monroe for coming on and talking to us. Remember, and for doing what he's doing. I love what he's doing yes, right now. Exactly. Yeah. Just for being not afraid to, to go against the norm. I think we need more people like that. So thank you to him for, for taking time to talk to us. We know he's busy. Uh, don't forget, follow Stick to Football on Twitter. Leave those reviews on iTunes. They help us out so much with the bosses. So keep doing that. Make sure you subscribe so you can listen to this every week. And we'll be back next week. We've got a great show. Next week, we're going to talk to Dallas Cowboys pass rusher Malik Collins as we preview the defensive backs for 2018 as well and really start to get into football season. It's almost here. So thanks for hanging out with us. We'll talk to you guys in a week.